Welcome to the podcast of Central Church. This is our latest weekly message. I'm here thinking, oh, I'm going to tell you something new. Um, or maybe you do and you'll be disappointed. But I, I'm not going to be talking about anything new this morning, but I, have just, I guess I've been aware of this regathering of us as a church community and a regathering even in little ways of our own lives. And so I've been thinking about, you know, what does it mean to be the people of God in an uncertain and a changing world? And I've been thinking about how the book of Acts often gives us many stories about what it's like to be the people of God in strange places. And so I just want to pull out a story from the book of Acts this morning and use it, I guess, to encourage us to just keep leaning in to being the people of God together, um, to being a faith community that loves and serves and belongs to one another in all our mess and failure and all of that kind of thing. Because I think these are some of the questions that are rolling around in my head and maybe in our heads and certainly as I talk to other church leaders or I hear churches around the world wrestling with like, what is church going to look like in a post-COVID society and Will we ever go offline again? And will we always change forever? And I just think, oh, okay. You know, what does it mean to be the people of God? I'm far more interested in what it means for us to be a community than I am in what we actually do together when we gather. Like, I think it's to be a community is more about us and whether or not we're like this or we're like that or we're in dinners or we're online. That, that's just the format of what it is for us to be a community. So I just want to encourage us in that today. So just a super quick reminder, like the book of Acts, I have not read the book of Acts for a really long time. Anyone like read it recently? It's not really, it's not really my go-to. You read it in year five. Any any advances on year five? I, anyway, it's just, sometimes I feel like when I read the book of Acts, it's just a book of highlights of these amazing things that just keep happening all the time, and I probably then feel inferior, (laughs) and so I don't read it. (laughs) Um, Some people call it the birth story of the church. There is, it is, it does read like a highlight reel. It reads like a travel log of Paul's, you know, adventures, Um, And I think what we tend to forget when we pick up the book of Acts is that it actually spans about 36 years, the book of Acts, from, if you could say, from the death of Jesus and his resurrection right through to the death of Paul, which we get the taste of at the very end of Acts. It sort of says he spent two years in house arrest and then we know after that he got got the chop um, by the Romans. That's 36 years. So that's that's a long time. You know, it's not, when you say it's a highlight reel, even if you could say there were 15 miracles, well, 15 miracles in 36 years is still, well, better than my average, (laughs) but um, still not really, like, hyper exciting because there's a lot of dead time in between, you know, and I I just want to, you know, say that because I think the more we can see, you know, the Bible as the ordinary story of the people of God not there to be like moral lessons for us or a standard upon which we need to meet, but more like a story that we enter with our own stories, the better we are. And then maybe we actually might want to read it a whole lot more. (laughs) If instead of feeling like we don't measure up, we actually realise that it's a story that we enter into. And so I want to pick out one of my favourite, strange, bizarre, hilarious stories from the book of Acts and just look at it 
and enter into it if we can. Um, not see it as something that once happened, but perhaps imagine it for ourselves and imagine what it would have been like to be there in this story. Uh, imagine what it would have looked, felt like to feel the things of this story and then just see what it might say to us about being the people of God. So we're going to have a look at the story in um, Acts chapter 20 of, um, here it is. So a bit of context, this is, Luke, Luke is writing the book of Acts. Um, he's documenting a lot of what Paul was doing and a lot of what was happening in the early church. Um, and it does read like Paul went and did this, then he stayed here for this long, then he jumped on a boat, then he went. Like, so it does read quite quick, but we forget that there's probably chunks of time in between. And, you know, we know Paul was shipwrecked and put in prison and years went by where probably nothing much happened. But this is part of the skip where Paul has been moving around. And his main heart, I think, was to encourage the people of God wherever he found them. So we're talking around the Mediterranean, you know, Western, or the parts of the Aegean Sea, like Greece, Turkey, Macedonia, Rome, Israel, Jerusalem, like that's the kind of Cyprus, you know, we're in, we're in the beautiful part of the world with the whitewashed houses, that's where we are, right? Paul's travelling on boats, visiting people, finding people of God, converting people, and there's obviously a little fledgling community of God's people at Troas, which is um, on the western um, coast of modern-day Turkey. So if you've ever, anyone been to Turkey? Beautiful part of the world. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's not any longer a current city, it's in ruins. But Troas was, was on the coast, it was probably a port city. And Paul goes there and we have this pithy little hilarious story of Paul's um, presence at Troas. I'm going to read it together. So it says, after the Passover ended, we, presumably Paul and Luke, maybe others, boarded a ship at Philippi in Macedonia and five days later joined people in Troas. So they had a five-day sea journey where we stayed a week. So they spent a whole week in Troas. On the first day of the week, we gathered with the local believers to share in the Lord's Supper. Paul was preaching to them and since he was leaving the next day, he kept talking until midnight. So this is where you've got to get. So he went to Troas for a week. This is the night before he leaves. So he's been in Troas for like six days, meeting with people, maybe sewing things because he was a tent maker, maybe being in the marketplace, maybe staying in people's homes, just encouraging the people of God. The night before he leaves, they don't know when he's going to come back. They want to get the most out of this man of God that they can. They meet together. Um, at night, because they would have worked all day. They didn't do weekends, you know, this is going back a long time ago. Um, so they would have worked all day, gathered together in someone's home in the evening for the evening meal to, to have supper together. And then they stayed to listen to Paul because he was going to leave on a boat the next day. And he's still preaching at midnight. So I don't know what time they had dinner. Let's, let's say seven. They ate dinner, they broke bread. He started preaching, like let's say he even started preaching at 8.30. Like he, he's been going for a while and it's midnight. The upstairs room where they met was lit with many flickering lamps. I mean, can you, can you imagine it? I mean, set the scene. They're in a stone house on the coast of western Egypt, on the Aegean Sea, 
with flickering oil lamps, full bellies, and Paul, the man of God who travels the seas to preach the gospel with them. Like you can feel like, you know, and the, you know, the atmosphere of the flickering oil lamps, the dim light, the warm, you know, it's, anyway, it's, I like, this is where we've got to get into it. You got to, if you were there, how would it feel? How would it feel to be there? How would it feel to be sitting against a stone wall? Where, you know, how would it feel to just be listening to Paul with a full belly at the end of a long day? As Paul spoke on and on. <laughs> See, it's why it's so common stories. Um, a young man named Eutychus, sitting on the windowsill, became very drowsy. So, okay, why is he sitting on the windowsill? Because there's probably heaps of people in the room. I don't know. Is there 20? This isn't like open plan, massive, large living houses. These are like stone houses built, you know, in early first century. So they're small. I don't know how many people you can fit in a room. Four square meter rule, not many. Let's say there was, there could have been anywhere from 10 to 25 people crammed into a room. I can imagine there was maybe some reclining lounges, maybe there was a low dining table, maybe people were leaning against the walls and sitting around the edges. And this young guy, Eutychus, who was a bit fitter and probably had a better back than most people, just thought, I know, I can perch in the windowsill. That, you know, how many people have ever sat in a windowsill because it was the most comfy place to sit? I mean, it's not uncommon, it's not stupid. But he is three stories up. And he's sitting in the windowsill and he's becoming very drowsy. He's worked all day. He's probably got bread and wine and other food in his belly and Paul's droning on and on. <laughs> and I mean, we love Paul, but he, he can be wordy, right? Um, finally, he fell sound asleep. Poor Eutychus. And he dropped three stories to his death below. <laughs> it's a winning church service. <laughs> There's no occupational health and safety standards. Um, it's terrible. So anyway, I don't... And I, and I imagine it and I go, at what point did they realise he fell? <laughs> like, did they hear the thump? Did someone, like, out of the corner of their eyes see that... And, like, and then there was like that stunned moment where a community of people in a packed, low-lit room realise Eutychus isn't there anymore. And then what do they do? How many people can run to the windowsill? I mean, one person leans out and he's on the ground. And then what do they do? They've got to run down, right? Run down all the stairs to get down to where he was and he's, he's presumably dead. Paul went down, so Paul obviously, I mean, when you're the preacher, you feel like you're responsible. <laughs> You've got to know what you're supposed to do, some poor young guy's dead on the ground. Paul goes down. I reckon if I was in the room and I wasn't Paul, I'd be thinking, flip Paul, if it's not you, it's not me. Like, you, gotta, you have to go. Like, I, I don't know what to do with this. Like, so Paul goes down, bends over him, takes him into his arms, and then presumably says to anyone else who had run down the stairs, don't worry, he's alive. Now, there's no mention that he prayed a powerful resurrection prayer. There's no spirituality really in this text at all other than Paul runs down and hugs him. Um, 
Was, was he really dead and raised to life? Possibly. Was he just winded and knocked out and, you know, I don't know. We don't know. The details aren't there. Presumably, if it was a phenomenal resurrection story, there'd be a little bit more detail on the supernatural event of how good it was that this guy was dead and came back to life. But it just seems to skip over all of that. Like, it's either so ordinary we don't even talk about it anymore or... Anyway, I don't know. It just seems bizarre to me. Don't you? Like, if I was witness to a resurrection, I think I'd be writing it a little bit more exciting than this. This is just so matter of fact. So Paul takes him into his arms, says to everyone, don't worry, he's alive. Then it says, they all went back upstairs, shared in the Lord's Supper and ate together. And Paul kept talking to them until dawn. Like that was not off-putting for Paul. Like that was in his mind, not a sign I should wrap things up. Okay, this has happened, slight blip, we'll keep going. Um, and then it says, meanwhile, the young man was taken home alive and well. And, and what was the predominant feeling among everyone? Just flippin' relief. <laughs> so I don't know if Paul Eutychus got carried back upstairs and had to listen for another six hours. I don't know if some of the other people took pity on him and thought, oh, Paul, you go back up, but we'll take him home. Like, I, everyone was just relieved that, I mean, yeah, and that was the... I don't know, that looks like something that belongs in a children's storybook. I really couldn't find any good art about this story. That's the best I could get. And I presume Eutychus was somewhat older than that 12-year-old boy. And Anyway, I just think that this story is a hilarious story of the early church. It's a story of people falling asleep when the preacher goes for too long. Um, never happened here. Never, never, ever happened here. Um, and so, I, I, you know, I think about this story and I think, what does this story have for us? You know, we don't have church in a three-storey building. Uh, we don't sit in the windowsill. Like, what, it, is it so far removed from our experience that it's got nothing to offer us? Or is it possible that we can, you know, we can sense some of what God might invite us into through this story? So I've been thinking about this story and how, you know, what it can say to us. And, and as I looked into this story, that the predominant things that seemed to come out was people either seemed to take one of two um, directions on this story. First direction is, this is Paul's fault. He preached for too long. So it's a lesson on don't preach for too long. That's a legit... I've, I've read commentaries on that. Right. Which is, okay, should preachers preach shorter? Yeah, probably. <laughs> Only when you're three stories up. Okay, fair call. Second, second direction this, um, the commentaries and the responses to this story took was, this is Eutychus's fault. How come he, like, how come he couldn't stay awake? Like, obviously his faith's not strong enough. Obviously he's not engaged enough. Obviously he needs to pull up his socks and be a better disciple of Jesus because if you're passionate about God, you don't fall asleep in the sermon. Genu genuinely was like, it's either Paul's fault or this is Eutychus's fault. And I just think, this is a hilarious story. It's nobody's fault. There is no moral to this story to be gleaned, like somehow we need to figure out where the blame is and then somehow make ourselves fit into that and learn like the moral of the story is stay awake like i just don't think that's right i don't think either of those are very satisfactory these are the questions i have heaps of questions when it comes to this 
this story. When I put myself in there and I imagine being there, I have so many questions. This is one of my questions. How come nobody noticed? Eutychus was nodding off. How come? He, Paul wasn't that riveting. People were falling asleep. How come the community of people didn't notice that maybe there's that young guy who's worked all day and, and you know when you start to feel a bit tired and so you kind of like look around you know when you start to feel a bit tired <laughs> and then you start you know you realize you've kind of nodded off and then you alert yourself awake but you know you just can't keep focusing on the thing that made you fall asleep in the first place so you just kind of like get up and move or you let you how come nobody did that how come nobody thought I'm not sure that's safe, Eutychus. You're looking a bit tired. Do you want to just come down on the floor? How come in a community, a whole room of like 10 to 15 at least people, someone didn't notice that poor Eutychus was really tired and then just like give him a nudge and, you know, suggest that he sit somewhere else or, you know, just walk over and stand next to him and just say, hey, I don't know, like how come? That's, that's weird to me. That's quite strange when you've been sitting in a room after dinner for going on three hours and you're all listening to the same person. How come nobody was just like, I wonder how everyone else is going? It's like, because I'm feeling like I'm done. Like, that's bizarre to me. Um, it's bizarre to me that Eutychus himself didn't notice. <laughs> I'm falling asleep and I'm sitting on a windowsill three stories up. It's bizarre to me that he didn't pay more attention to how he was feeling. Not that he would go home and be like, oh, I'm out of here, I'm done, but that he just might be like, oh, maybe I just need to tell someone I'm feeling a bit sleepy, maybe I need to get up and... I don't know. Like, I'm putting myself in Eutychus's shoes thinking, if I... you know, surely he would do that. Yeah? It's not unreasonable to think that he might speak up for himself and take some responsibility for how tired he feels and... I think that's not, I just, it's, the whole thing's bizarre. How come it got to the point where he falls three stories and has to be raised from the dead? That's weird to me. Um, there's lots of things along the way that could have happened that would have meant the story would have probably not made the book of Acts because it probably wasn't exciting enough, but at least would have, you know, been better for other people. Anyway, so I've been then thinking, what does it look like if we take this strange little story in the book of Acts and apply it to us as a community of God's people not as a, in a literal way, but as a kind of metaphor for how we can engage one another as God's people. And these are some of the things that I've thought about. Number one, the life of faith is like a marathon. And it's tiring. And sometimes it feels like we're falling asleep or nodding off or losing interest or just feeling weary, right? Like, when we follow Jesus for the long haul, that's, that's a very valid part of the journey. We, we might start out all gung-ho and passionate, and then we might have real serious moments of passion and gung-ho-ness and enthusiasm where we feel alive and awake with the Spirit of God and all is well. And those are like the high points. But, and then there's low points, of course, where we're really struggling, and then there's a large in-between where we can probably sometimes say, yeah, like I... Maybe not firing on all cylinders. I, I feel a bit weary in my faith. I feel a bit tired. I'm nodding off. Paul or life or God, he's going on and on. <laughs> on and on. 
the light's getting low and I'm just feeling weary. Like, that's very legitimate kind of part of the life of faith. Like, we all feel like that at different times. And so it makes me wonder, what does it look like to actually just acknowledge that to one another? That that's real, it's not bad, it's no one's fault, it's not shameful, you're not to blame, you shouldn't have to just strive harder, but just the reality that sometimes to follow God for years and years and be faithful in the one direction is tiring and weary and we go through seasons when we feel like we lack energy and enthusiasm and passion like we once did and that's all okay. What does it look like to acknowledge that as real? And then what would it look like for each of us to actually own it if that's where we're there? Be a better Eutychus. Sure, sit in the window and be present, but maybe get up and tell someone if you feel like you're nodding off. Like, what would it look like for us as a community of God's people to be honest and, and you know, trusting enough amongst ourselves that when we're flagging, we can be real about it? Not because we know we're going to get a motivational speech to get better, but just because we might need someone to give us an elbow nudge every now and then. Check to make sure that we're not perched on a three-storey windowsill, about to die. Because, you know, that's not the end game of faith. We don't want dead people three storeys down, fallen out. And, like, I, my resurrection skills aren't... Well, I've never had a success. <laughs> so I feel like, you know, there, there, what does it look like to, to take responsibility for our faith and for owning where we're at, for noticing ourselves, like to, for noticing our own faith journey and noticing if we're flagging or struggling or tired and just being real about it to those that we trust. Like that is, I think, really important about being the people of God, that we take ownership of our spiritual lives and just know that we're not going to charge onwards forever and we're just going to have, you know, waves and we need people around us if we're struggling. And then the other thing I think about in this story is that what does it look like for us to actually be a community of people who notice one another, who actually pay attention to one another in a meaningful way. So rather than being so self-absorbed and just bent in on ourselves, like the only person we can pay attention to in the room is me and how I am, what does it look like to actually be the people of God together where I am aware of where I'm at, but I'm also bent outwards towards others, towards how other people are going? What, is it, what would it look like for us to be aware of one another in a loving way? Not a judgmental way and not a tick-boxing way, but just a way that's like, wow, you don't seem yourself lately. Are you Okay. In light of COVID, when it's been really hard to gather together in any meaningful way in a large group, what would it look like for us to think, wow, I haven't seen so-and-so for quite a while. I wonder if they're okay. I might check in with them. What does it mean to be the people of God who notice each other perched in windowsills, nodding off, so that we gather together and gather one another in our arms before we're dead on the floor? Look, I think that's really important thing about being the people of God. And it's a countercultural thing for us in our Western society where we're so individualistic and we have so much to learn from our indigenous 
um, you know, First Nations people of, of Australia and other nations who have tribe and mob and kinship as the primary thing, where their, their attention is not just on themselves, but their attention is on the mob. How's the mob doing? How's the tribe doing? How's the clan doing? It's not just about me. And I think this story has so much to offer us about what it means to be the people of God, to just to wake up sometimes, take a moment to not just think about me and mine, but to consider others. I'm like, oh, I wonder how they're going. Like, it could have been a, such a different story if someone else was just noticing around the room that Eutychus was falling asleep and someone could have gotten up, gotten him a drink, offered him another glass of wine or a piece of bread or said, hey, you doing? Like, it just would have been a different thing. And I think that's what it means to be the people of God together, to notice one another, to, know, to be aware enough in our loving relationships with one another to pay attention. I think this is, you know, it's the one anothering of the people of God. I just want to read us um, a passage from Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5. And there's lots of little, like throughout Paul's letters and the other letters in the New Testament, lots of instructions to the church about what to do with one another. And some of them are really, really wonderful. But I was reading this one this week and thinking about it in light of our dear old Eutychus. And it says this, Get along among yourselves, each of you doing your part. Our counsel is that you warn the freeloaders to get a move on. I don't quite know how to apply that to modern day life, so I'm just going to leave that one right there, okay? Um, gently encourage the stragglers. Reach out for the exhausted, pulling them to their feet. Be patient with each person, attentive to individual needs. And be careful that when you get on each other's nerves, you don't snap at each other. <laughs> Look for the best in each other, and always do your best to bring it out. Be cheerful no matter what. Pray all the time. Thank God no matter what happens. This is the way God wants you who belong to Christ Jesus to live. And, I, and I've been thinking about that in light of our story. And I, the thing I love about this verse is you can think about it as like, oh, there's a list of things I should do. And yeah, it's a list of things we should do for one another. But it's also a very blatant acknowledgement that number one, there might be freeloaders, whoever they are, we're going to struggle sometimes. We're, we're going to be exhausted. We're going to need people to pull us to our feet. We're going to need people to be patient with us and attentive to us. Like, that's the reality of any community of people, right? A bunch of ordinary, messy, crazy folks needing encouragement, struggling along, needing help, like that's who we are, that's, that's who we are. And we need to one another, another, one another, another. We need to encourage one another. I like the, I love the verbs in this, warn, gently encourage, reach out for, pull each other to your feet, be patient, be attentive, bring out the best. Isn't that beautiful? I want us to be a church, a faith community who, who feels like that, smells like that, looks like that. That's, that's my like, goal. Is it going to be absolutely messy and we're going to fail each other all the time? 
100%. But that's where we're aiming. We're going there. Not to be sexy, not to be grand, not to be phenomenal, but to be like that. <laughs> no, no, sorry. Be the people of God. So that's my heart, that, this is, that we would one another another in light of this. And so I just want to finish with just a few questions for us to bring it down. Nothing new here. But I want to ask a few questions and maybe activate us a little bit to, to do something with this in light of where we're at and in light of one another. So maybe you just, maybe we can just close our eyes and just take some time to focus. So the first, I guess, question I want to ask you is how tired are you in your faith? Like if you were to be honest with yourself, it's just you and God in this moment, how weary or exhausted, how tired do you feel in your faith? Are you Eutychus? <laughs> Is there any way that you relate to Eutychus sitting on a windowsill on the edge of a community nodding off? And if the honest answer to that question is actually, yeah, I do feel a bit weary right now in my faith. The next question I just want to ask you is this. Have you told somebody... Is there somebody close to you that actually knows where you're at? Because if there isn't, it's probably a good idea for you to take some ownership of where you're at and find somebody you love and trust and just say, hey, I'm feeling a bit weary right now. Can you just keep an eye on me? I don't want to end up dead three stories down. And so if that's you and you are like, yep, that's me, I feel a bit weary, I just think, what would it look like for you this week to make a commitment to having an honest conversation with someone? It doesn't need to be someone in this church. It could be some, any, any person of faith that you love and you trust. But what would it look like for you to just be honest and say, hey, this is where I'm at and I just want to let you know and... You know, maybe they'll have some wisdom, they'll probably have some bad advice, but at least you're telling someone. That's a, it's a good step. So are you Eutychus? And this, the second question I want to ask us as a community and you as part of that community sitting here is who around you is nodding off on a windowsill? Like just... If you could cast your mind across the people in this community and in your wider faith um, connections that you know, is there anybody that if you were to turn your attention and be attentive and mindful to the people in your world that you could just maybe notice something you hadn't yet noticed before? I am a really firm believer in the gentle nudgings of the Holy Spirit. Like, I am 
a firm believer that if we just put ourselves in a prayerful posture and say, God, is there anyone you want to place on my heart? Is there anyone I need to pray for? Is there anyone that you would nudge me to be mindful of? That I'm kind of quite confident that if God drops a name or someone's face in our you know, in our mind, in our heart at that moment, that it's just the work of the Holy Spirit helping us to be attentive to one another in a way that is beyond natural. And so I, I want you to just ask God to just say, hey God, if there's anyone that you'd like that I should be aware of, would you, would you highlight them in my mind? And then I wonder for you what it would be look like, what it would look like this week to just maybe reach out in a really simple way. If if you did think of someone in your mind that, hey, um, I haven't noticed that person or I wonder where they're at or I wonder if they're okay or what's going on, that you would actually this week send them a text, give them a phone call, write them a note, go for a walk with them and, and not just be like, oh, hey, just wanted to just catch up, you know, but have a meaningful conversation about faith. Like, we are the people of God. We can have conversations of faith with one another. Um, we can check in with one another and say, hey, how are you doing? I'm just thinking of you. Just want to say I love you. Just want to encourage you. So, Father God, I want to pray for us as a community, pray for your church scattered around the world. Would you keep helping us be the people of God? Would you help us love one another, encourage one another, support one another, warn one another, pull one another to our feet? God, it's too hard to do this life of faith alone and we need people around us who love us and look out for us. Would you do that for us, God? And would you help us be those kinds of people to the people around us? Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to check out more about Central, visit us at centralchurch.org.au. Music by Chris D'Souza, a beloved member of Central. Ha, ha, ha.